Good morning, church. I pray that uh, you've had a restful evening and that your morning has been blessed thus far. Just wanted to ask a quick question as it's just been on my heart this morning and it's simply, is God's grace enough? Is God's grace enough in your life today, this morning? Is that is He enough? What He does, what He gives, uh, is it enough for you to get through the day? And and I pray that the answer is is yes, and a and a mighty yes. Um, well, we'll be starting Acts chapter seventeen as we're moving right along through the book of Acts and. I pray that you've been encouraged and been challenged and been blessed and uh, reminded of God's love and his truth and the fact that you can uh, cling to him uh, at every point of your life to get what you need. And uh, today's passage is no different. So we'll be uh, going through verses 1 through 9 in Acts chapter 17. But before we read, let's just go ahead and go before the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you again for just the opportunity to be in your word, to learn from the truth that's going to help us get through our day, that's going to give us the proper perspective on life and how we are to live in relationship to you and in relationship to one another. Father, may you please speak to us through your word now. May you allow us to understand your word and rightfully divide it and have the wisdom to apply it to our lives and see how it intersects with our reality. Father, we thank you for the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. We know without him, we have no hope. Without the Holy Spirit living in our hearts, we don't have the ability to apply these truths. So we thank you for your mercy and your grace and your never-ending devotion to us, your creation. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Okay, Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. And it reads, Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns of Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, This Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. But some of the Jews were jealous, so they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted, and now they are here disturbing our city too. And Jason has welcomed them into his home. They are all guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. The people of the city, as well as the city council, 
were thrown into turmoil by these reports. So the officials forced Jason and the other believers to post bond, and then they released them. I've entitled this message, Persistence in Christ. And as you see throughout these, uh, this portion of Scripture, without persistence in Christ, there's no way that any believer was going to get through uh, the, 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 the crazy things that they were going through here. Uh, Paul, Silas, his ministry team, and, and the believers that were here in uh, Thessalonica. So as we begin to venture into Acts chapter 17, we will see that Paul is continuing to be a man that is full of the Holy Spirit. He is on mission for, for God. He's on fire for the Lord, and he is moving ahead in his service for uh, the Lord and to service people to share the gospel to get the message out after uh, Paul and Silas left on their own terms from Philippi, uh, they moved through a few towns to get to Thessalonica, where this uh, this account takes place in the scriptures. Here they would continue in their customary fashion of sharing the truth of Jesus Christ and, and share it in love, obviously, but they were unapologetic about sharing Christ. They recognized that he was the Messiah and they were not going to back down from this is the truth. This is what we know is certain. This is an absolute truth. There is one true and living God and his son is the God man, Christ Jesus, who came to earth to die for the sins of the world and then to raise back up. Today, we will learn that at the core of the gospel message, a decision has to be made. You're either in or you're out. You will either embrace Jesus Christ as your personal Savior or you will reject Him. And there will forever be an altered life. Your life will be altered forever based on the decision that you make, whether you receive Christ or you, or you reject Him. There's several main points that we're going to focus on this morning. And the first one is this, and it's simply... Sharing the gospel, sharing the good news about Jesus Christ takes consistency, takes persistence. It's not for the faint at heart. It's not for those who give up quickly because it doesn't happen the first time. Many times it's going to take more than once of you and I sharing the, the good news of the gospel to someone before they become a believer. Um, think about those that you know in your own sphere of influence or maybe think of your own life. And I, I know, um, you know, I look at my own life personally and, and I'm so glad that uh, the Lord didn't give up on me because I didn't receive Christ the first time I heard the good news. It took many times. It took it took many years of, of I don't even want to say being backslidden, but just not being, you know, not really being saved, just being one foot in, one foot out. And, and again, aren't you glad that the Lord didn't give up on you the first time you heard of his salvation if you did not receive uh, the, the free gift that he offers to you? As believers... We also need to have, uh, you know, somewhat of a thick skin, understanding that when our witness is rejected, you know, we're not we're not the ones actually being rejected. See, many times we take it personally and we're like, man, I, you know, uh, you know, they, they offended me and I'm hurt because, you know, I came in them in love and and I share with Jesus with them and they just totally rejected, rejected what I had to share with them. But they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus Christ. 
So that's why, you know, we have to have kind of like a, you know, a, a fish, a goldfish memory, you know, where they, 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 they know things for 30 seconds and their mind resets um, in the sense of, you know, we need to be able to get back up, step back up to the plate and share our faith again and again, because, again, you know, uh, the reality is this, it's persistence in Christ. We can't just give up because, you know, it didn't happen this week. It didn't happen this month. It didn't happen this year. There's many accounts that that I've heard over the years of, you know, family members or loved ones that have been praying for, you know, 15, 20 plus years for a family member to get saved. And, you know, if it wasn't for that person, that family member interceding day after day, month after month, year after year, um, would that person become saved? Who knows? We we don't know. Uh, obviously, only God knows what what what's going to happen to the heart of a of a man or a woman. But we are told as believers in Christ, we are to intercede. We are not we are not to give up. We are to be persistent for those around us and pray for our loved ones and pray for this world, pray for souls to be saved. The second main point is this. Ultimately, the gospel will divide people. Now, people hear that and it, it, it startles a lot of people. So I want to make a disclaimer that Without the proper context, someone is going to hear what I just said and say, well, how is that real? How can a loving God divide people? He's, he's, he's God. He's, he created all people. He created all people in his, in his own image. So he's going to accept everyone. Well, the reality is this. He will accept everyone in the sense of all those who receive his son, Jesus Christ, as their personal savior. But he also will reject those who reject his son. Luke chapter 12, verse 51 tells us, and this is Jesus speaking, Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I have come to divide people against each other. You see, you can't sit on the fence about your decision of who Jesus Christ is in your life personally, in your heart of hearts. And this is what makes it so difficult for many people because you, again, will either receive Christ, receive Christ as your personal savior, or you will reject him. You know, even if you take the approach of, well, you know, he's a good teacher and, you know, but I, I lump him up with, you know, with, uh, you know, Muhammad, with Gandhi, with, you know, uh, with Buddha, uh, you know, he's a good spiritual teacher. If you're on, you know, the whole middle of the road with Jesus Christ, you still are denying him. And so Jesus Christ ultimately will divide those who are saved and those who are not saved, those who have received his free gift of salvation, and again, those who have unfortunately chose to reject the free gift that he offers. The third main point is this. There are many unsung heroes who faithfully help spread the gospel. We we hear of this account of Jason in this portion of, portion of scripture, excuse me, and he is one amongst many who helped to further the the good news by his actions. His courage was used to help Paul and Silas to minister more effectively, uh, to have a safe place for believers to gather when they didn't have a safe place. You may not receive much attention at all. You may not receive any accolades or any attaboys or pats on the back for what you do for the Lord. 
but that's not what service is all about. It's not about being center stage, up front, in the limelight, so to speak, you know, where people can see you. That's that's not what serving the Lord is about. Uh, because the reality is, ultimately, your faithfulness to Christ and mine will be rewarded by Him. And we can rest in His peace knowing that we lived our lives out for the way that we were created to live our lives out to be, to bring honor and glory to God. It's very interesting because this whole idea of wanting to be recognized, you know, the book of Revelation talks about that. When we will receive our crowns from the Lord, we actually are going to cast our crowns down at his feet. And so, again, it's the whole idea of heaven is not just to be walking on streets of gold and, and to be receiving a crown because that crown, we're not, that's, that's, not to say it's nothing, but but the whole point of us being in heaven forever and is to have a relationship with Jesus, a, a relationship that's going to be coming to fruition. Like right now, it's it, it's 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 only you know partly there in the sense of it's not fulfilled. Meaning you know we're not going to see our you know our, our him as he really is in heaven. We're gonna we're not going to have our regenerated, renewed or our new bodies, I should say, in Christ. Right, all that's going to come to fruition when we go to heaven and be with him forever we're not going to be tripping off no crown. You know, we're going to cast the crown at his feet because he's the only one worthy, right? And so again, when we have the proper perspective of what it means to be a servant, it's okay that we don't get recognized because whatever recognition you do get, if you truly are a believer in Christ, you should humbly, you know, project that back onto Christ because it's not for you to to, to receive. You shouldn't be receiving praise, uh, from other people because it's not you it's the holy spirit working through you and the lord is the only one worthy of praise and honor amen all right let's go ahead and start knocking down these verses let's go ahead and start in verse one and it reads again paul and silas then traveled through the towns of uh, amphibious and apollonia and came to thessalonica where there was a jewish synagogue So we just need to get a little bit of background about Thessalonica so we can have an understanding of what's going on, our our setting here uh, in in this portion of Scripture. This was an important port city. So again, kind of like the bay, many people going and coming out. It was it was it was that was the highway to get to the mainland. It was about 100 miles uh, by foot, a three days journey from Philippi, where Paul and Silas had come from. Thessalonica still exists today. It's a modern, large city that's a thriving city. Uh, Thessalonica was one of the most wealthiest and influential cities in Macedonia. So, um, you know, you could see why the Holy Spirit would lead Paul and Silas here because this would be the first city where uh, Paul visited that actually he attracted many prominent citizens or the gospel had attracted many prominent citizens and many of these prominent people who were affluent, they were affected by the gospel and their lives were changed forever. And so, you know, with that, when people who have influence and power are affected by the gospel, you see the influence and, and you see the effect and how it can help, uh, you know, the rest of the population. The church that was planted here would would grow pretty rapidly and quickly, but eventually Paul would be driven out by an angry mob of people. That kind of seems to be like the theme with Paul, right? It's like he comes and he shares the truth of Jesus Christ. Uh, the people that don't like it, they just go into a rage and a fit, and then they just want to violently attack him and, and get rid of him. And so, th- you know, the same thing would happen here. Uh, we know that later on Paul would send uh, his understudy, 
Timothy back to Thessalonica to help teach and encourage the believers that were there. And, and this is where uh, uh, Thessalonians 1 and 2 is birthed out of, because we know Paul would write, would be used to pen these books in the Bible. And it's from the experiences that went on here. And it was, uh, you know, letters to the, the believers in Thessalonica to encourage them to remain in the faith and not to be deceived by false false teaching, excuse me. And we see lastly in this first verse, the last sentence, and it was a norm and it was customary for Paul when he would reach down, touch down in a new place that he would look for a synagogue to uh, set up shop and, and share the, the, the truth about who Jesus Christ was to the Jews in that synagogue. All right, let's go ahead and go on to verses two and four. And it says, as was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. So we see as Paul touched down and he was speaking in the synagogues, in the synagogue, excuse me, he preached Jesus Christ crucified, that he, he was crucified and that he rose again to these Jewish people and the God-fearing Gentiles that were there. When we look at this, there are several important aspects of how Paul presented Jesus that we need to, to, to look at and we need to grab hold of for our own benefit. When Paul spoke to the synagogue, he would wisely begin by talking about the Old Testament. He would talk about the Old Testament writings to explain how the Messiah must fulfill the law. And then he would move from there, moving from the known to the unknown. He reasoned with these people from the scriptures. And, and this is important because, again, he started where they were at. He knew what they knew, and then he went from what they knew to what they didn't know. And this is a really good thing because it points out, you know, starting at the base where people were at and then moving forward. But as he reasoned uh, the scriptures with them, the Greek word uh, actually translates uh, translated reasoned, it, it's the root for our English word dialogue, like how we have a dialogue, how you have a go back, a, a, you know, not a monologue where one person is talking, but a dialogue where some someone talks, some then the other person or the other people ask questions and they go back and forth and they, they talk amongst each other. That's what's going on here. There was an exchange and, and questions were, were, were asked and, and answers were given. He dialogued with them from the scriptures. And the application for us is this, that this is just a great strategy. When we witness for Christ, we should begin where people are at. Like, what do you know about Jesus? You know, I mean, I can remember when one of my older brothers, you know, you know, told me or the first time we talked about it, he was like, well, what do you know about Jesus Christ? And I was like, uh, Christmas, Easter. <laughs> I didn't know much at all. Right. I knew the, the pad answers, just the, the general, the generalization of who Jesus Christ was. But he he asked questions and he, be, you know, he began by 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 finding out where I was at and then moving forward. Um, you know, Paul here, he affirmed the truth that they did know. He affirmed that truth. And then he presented Jesus Christ, who was the truth. 
You know, we should always allow a conversation to take place when we are witnessing to other people. And if people have questions, we should answer them the best way that we can, led by the Holy Spirit. And if we honestly don't know the answer, we should try to figure out who we need to get in contact with so we can find the correct answer. And hopefully, eventually, if we have contact with that person again, bring them uh, the correct answer. We see that Paul did the work of explaining here, right? He took the time. This word literally literally means opening. So Paul opened up the scriptures with clarity and simplicity. He gave persuasive evidence to his listeners. So he he merely just didn't say, well, you know, Jesus, you know, Jesus, you know, if you don't accept Jesus, you're going to go to hell, right? But he explained, you know, kind of what was behind that. Why Why is that the reality? Why is this the truth? Why Why did the Messiah have to fulfill the law? And, and how does this apply to my life? How is this something that I need to grab hold of? But he, he did this. He explained it in a way that they could understand. He, he did this by pointing people to Jesus Christ, showing that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And notice that the emphasis was all about Jesus, proving that he alone is the Christ, that he had to suffer and die as a sacrifice for the sins of the world, for their sins personally, not just the world, but he personalized it for the sins of every single person. He would then rise from the dead, solidifying their forgiveness, excuse me, and their security in him. The application for us is this. When we witness, this as well should be our approach. Whoever we witness to, whenever we witness, they should leave the conversation with a better, clearer understanding of who Jesus Christ is and why they need to receive his free gift of salvation. But see, sometimes, unfortunately, people leave us with more information about us and our own personal testimony, right? Rather than learning more about Jesus Christ, because we're so excited that we're just sharing about what the Lord's done in us and the, the, this and that. But what we need, that is important, but we need to make the focal point Jesus Christ. Our testimonies are a vehicle, right, to get the gospel out but should never be the main focus of our conversation. If we find ourselves constantly saying I or mine over and over again, right? And we're not talking about Christ and not talking about Jesus and who he is. We may want to reconsider how we are sharing. Next, we see that some of these people were persuaded. Most of them actually believed. They they were moved by the message of the gospel and they believed. Many were devout Greeks, God-fearing Greek people, and, and also there were Jewish men, but also many prominent Jewish women. By all accounts, this work was a success because a great multitude believed. There were many hearts that were changed for the gospel, and that's an amazing thing. This is extremely significant because you got to think about it. These were Greeks, so they were Gentiles, so they didn't know the true God. And then there were Jewish men and women who naturally would have been fed and brought up on the law of Moses. Excuse me. For these people to receive Christ, this was a genuine miracle. It was just like Lydia, how we learned in, in Acts chapter 16, it was God himself who opened up the hearts of these men and women to receive his son, Jesus Christ. Once someone chooses to believe in Christ, they are sealed forever with the Holy Spirit. That the Lord will never 
lose you or leave you once you were signed and sealed with the blood of Jesus Christ. When he becomes your savior, that is it. You're, you are his. The only way one can distance themselves from God is if you and I decide to walk away. That's the only way. God will never leave you. And that's why the whole thing of conviction. Now, conviction can get dull and you can kind of get numb to the conviction if you continue to walk away from him. But he's never going to leave you. He's never going to walk away from you. But we will walk away from him if we choose to do that. I've learned that there are three um, you know, levels of belief. And the first one is this, it's the base level. And it basically is, you know, what the Bible says that Satan believes that God exists. Even the de- the demons believe God exists and they tremble at the name of Jesus Christ. That's the base level of belief, right? It's like the enemy knows, our enemy knows that he exists. So that's, that's real. The second level of belief is this shallow belief. Like, well, you know, it's not the base belief, but it's it's a it's a belief that's based in fear. Like, well, I don't want to go to hell, so I know God exists. I know Jesus exists, and and so yeah, you know, Jesus is good, and you know, I I'm a Christian because I just don't want to go to hell. The third level of belief is the true level, and this is the transformative level of belief in Jesus Christ, where you accept Christ as your personal savior, and forevermore after your life is never the same you're literally being transformed you're literally walking through the sanctification process with Jesus Christ the rest of your life and yes you will sin and you will slip up here and there but you're not going to be sinning like you used to and you're not going to be thinking like you used to and you're not going to be talking and acting like you used to because your life is literally being transformed you're going like you know right the caterpillar into the cocoon coming out as a butterfly. You're changing. You're not the same person. You know, any of us that have are saved, you look back on your life. I don't care how bad it is right now. I don't care what your last sinful act was. You look back on your life. You're not the same person. You should not be in the same place mentally, emotionally, spiritually, right? You should not be in the same place that you were when you were not saved because this is what's happening. The transformation has been taking place. All right, let's go ahead and move on to verses 5 through 9. And it says, But some of the Jews were jealous, so they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted, and now they are here disturbing our city too. And Jason has welcomed them into his home. They are all guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. The people of the city as well as the the city council, were thrown into turmoil by these reports. So, the officials forced Jason and the other believers to post bond, and then they released them. So we see the whole other opposite end of the spectrum here. By direct contrast, there were some Jews who were jealous of this good news of the gospel, and they literally rejected Jesus. They rejected the message that Paul had shared with them. They totally disregarded it. They didn't want anything to do with it. They opposed it, and they made sure to voice their opinion about it. They were unhappy, really, with the focus being taken off of them, meaning their service to God, because 
as Jews brought up in the law of Moses, it was all about rule keeping. It was all about do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Do this, do this and that, and don't do that. It was all about rule keeping. If you could keep the letter of the law, that is how you were righteous before a holy God. And this is totally opposite of what Paul and Silas were were, were preaching. Uh, they didn't like the idea of being powerless before a holy God. But when you really think about it, isn't that just like us as human beings? We, 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 we try to do everything that we can to control the narrative of our lives. I think of just like health and, and, and all that. And, you know, there's like hundreds of, of, of various treatments to, to slow down the aging process nowadays. I mean, they got so many things that they, that they're there that are out there for people to consume, to help you to, you know, not get wrinkles uh, uh, that quick, to not have gray hair, to turn back the, the clock and not look a certain way, to look youthful, right? And I mean, there's so many routines out there, you know, and, you know, if you exercise vigorously and if you eat the healthiest foods that, you know, you're, you're going to stay young, you're going to live longer. I mean, there's even medical procedures that are supposed to make you look younger, and I know that our bodies, yes, are the temple of the living God, and we are supposed to take care of ourselves. But there's a there's a really fine line between taking your care, taking good care of yourself, and being obsessed with this whole idea of trying to live longer, trying to stay youthful, trying to be healthy. You know, uh, it's a, been appointed on the man once to die and face a judgment. I mean, there, you know, he's God has put a cap on every single one of our days of our lives. We cannot add any time to our lives. Whenever we're supposed to uh, be deceased here physically, that day's going to come. It doesn't matter if you have the cleanest bill of health or not. It doesn't care if you have the brightest, whitest, pearliest teeth. It doesn't matter if you have, you know, uh, no gray hair at all on your body. Uh, if it's your time to go, it's your time to go. And then there's other people that are, are you know, got the mo- all white hair, the most wrinkles you've ever seen in your life. They don't even have any teeth anymore and they're still living because it's not their time to go, right? So it's kind of like you don't want to get obsessed about that. When we are consumed with anything other than Jesus Christ, we are a slave to that consumption. So the only thing honestly we should be consumed with and be obsessed about is Christ in a, obviously in a healthy way led by the Holy Spirit, but that is the only thing. He's the only one that we should be consumed with. And for these Jews here who were jealous of the message of the gospel and who rejected Christ, they were unfortunately they were consumed with their own righteousness. This is what drove them. This is what they prided themselves on. And so it was extremely offensive to them because Paul preached that no one is righteous. No, not one. And so that popped their balloon, you know, that popped their their whole idea of, of, of working hard uh, to be made right with God because they were jealous. Now, now they <clears throat> they see that there was there was a clear divide, right? Because between them and the others who had received the gospel message of Jesus Christ, there was clearly a divide. There was the ones who received, and then there was the ones who were jealous and rejected. And the truth is that it's no different today. Many are divided over Jesus Christ, and he actually prophesied that this would be the case all over the world. If you go back and look at Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 53, and I'll go ahead and read. I have come to set the world on fire, and I wish it were already burning 
I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me, and I am under a heavy burden until it is accomplished. Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I have come to divide people against each other. From now on, families will be split apart, three in favor of me and two against me, or two in favor and three against. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Now, when you hear that, and when you read that, it's crazy because... Again, context is king. If you don't have the right context, you are going to lose your mind over that portion of scripture. You are just going to be you're just going to be thumped. You're just not going to understand it. You're not going to know what to think. And this is where non-believers will try to discredit Jesus Christ based on these verses. They'll say things like, "Well, see, he's a he's a vengeful God. Look, he's 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 going to divide families." But we know that, you know, come on now. That's simply not true. They're just taking these verses out of context. They're not understanding the true way this was written and what it meant. Does Jesus divide families? Yes, he certainly does, but not like critics of the Bible think. We need to use Pharaoh as an example here. Just like Pharaoh, right? The Bible says that his heart was already hard. His heart was hardened, meaning he already had made the decision in his heart what road he was going to take and how he wanted to live out his life. He already had made that decision in his mind and his heart. He never desired to let the Israelites go. So the Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But God didn't necessarily harden his heart. All God did was reveal what was already in Pharaoh's heart to begin with. That's what was going on. So likewise, when we read this portion of scripture and it says that Jesus divides father and son, he's not dividing father and son. He's simply revealing how some will receive him and others will reject him within the same family. And this is what is going on. The application today for us is the reality is some will receive Christ and others will unfortunately reject him. That is why we need to intercede for those who have not received Christ and that hopefully it's in the Lord's will that their hearts will be opened, their hearts will be softened, and that ultimately they will, they will receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And we know that this is real because Christ talked and taught more about hell than heaven in the Bible. So, I mean, it's clear he was passionate about this. He was warning people of the coming judgment. He was warning people of what's going to happen if you do not receive the gift of salvation that I offer you. So there is no excuse for any human being because we've all been told. But if it falls on deaf ears, we are the only ones to blame for our desperate situation. Next, we see because of their jealousy towards the gospel message that they decided to act out their jealousy by forming an angry, an angry mob and they incited a riot. And this wasn't the first time that Paul had experienced this pushback and this kind of violent 
uh, behavior from people who didn't receive the gospel. Well, this happened in Antioch. This happened in Iconium. This happened at Lystra on uh, his first missionary journey. And uh, for, unfortunately, you know, history continues to repeat itself. We have present day examples of this kind of action and not necessarily from the gospel, uh, you know, people being, you know, upset with the gospel. Yes, it is. It happens in other countries like that. But speaking about here in America, but the reality is, Hurt people hurt people. Next, we are introduced to, to this fellow named Jason. So we don't know much about Jason, but what we do know is pretty much all we do need to know, which is important enough because the Lord felt that this needed to be this these details needed to be explained about him. We don't know much about him, but we do know that he had a heart for the Lord and a heart for his people because he opened up his home to host believers, to have a safe place where they could convene and be together and hear the word of God and to pray. Because he aligned himself with the church, Jason took heat for the problems of the church and and the problems of the gospel. But that's what happens. Jason was one of many unsung heroes who faithfully played their part to help spread the good news. Because of Jason's courage, Paul and Silas were able to minister effectively when they needed a place to regroup. The application for us is this. You and I may not receive much attention for serving the Lord. Actually, we'll probably receive grief from uh, from different people. Still, God wants to use your life and my life because other people's lives will be changed forever because of your courage and faithfulness when we look at what happened here and earlier on in the chapter um in um, excuse me early on in chapter 16 we have to say it's it's a trip like what a reputation that the early christian church had right because they had the power of the good news in their lives the power of the gospel the power of the holy spirit and 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 lives were revolutionized because of this truth i mean uh, the power of the gospel literally broke down social barriers between Greeks and, and non-Greeks and, and, and men and women, causing one another to care for each other on a deeper level. The power and love of Jesus Christ stirred people up to worship God in a way they've never worshipped Him before. And 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 we need that. Our, our sinful world needs to be turned upside down to be transformed by the life-changing power of the gospel. Because God's word, because Jesus Christ, the gospel message, doesn't merely improve programs and encourage good conduct. He literally dynamically transforms lives from being dead to being alive. It happens because he deals with the root cause of our problems, which is sin, addressing the sin in our hearts so that now we can be changed and saved forever. And I'm not going to use my platform to get political. I'm just speaking on what is going on in our current lives because this is how we make it applicable and how we see the truth of the gospel. But when you look at the social injustice that's going on in America today, you know, I'm honestly truly baffled that no prominent voice in the entertainment industry or the sports world is bringing Jesus Christ into the situation because everyone has a, a voice to say something about they want change 
And yes, change needs to happen. They want things to be better. I agree. Uh, as a black man myself, I do believe that black lives matter. Yes, of course. The, 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 that movement definitely has a place at the table. But it doesn't matter what race or what culture you are from until we all as human beings personally recognize that all the injustice in the world stems from our fallen nature, our fallen condition as sinners, and the only true lasting cure is Jesus Christ, you can have all the marches you want, you can have all of these programs you want, but you will forever be in this unending cycle of hatred and violence because we're putting a band-aid on an open wound. We have to get to the root of it, and the root of it is it's a spiritual problem. It's a problem that starts in the heart of every man, woman, and child, and it's a sinful problem, and the only one who can cure sin is Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you're black or white, rich or poor. We all need Jesus Christ to literally transform us, our being, from walking dead to being alive in him and with that you know with the biblical principles being lived out with christ the the life-changing power of jesus christ in your heart you know you'll begin to see people act differently live differently no matter if they have lots of influence and power through the government or, or they're just a regular citizen people's lives will start looking differently but it's only christ who can provide that you know we're we're trying to uh we're trying to put man-made solutions to 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 a problem that that's that that's beyond that it's a spiritual problem and so um you know that's just my two cents on that back to uh back to our text the jewish leaders they literally had to concoct charges against paul and silas that would be heard by the city government because the Romans didn't care about these theological arguments that were happening between the Jews and Paul and Silas. They didn't care about that. But they did care about treason. Because treason was a serious offense in the Roman Empire. And, you know, that would, you would die. Because if you did not salute, if you did not, you know, have that, uh, you know, reverence for Caesar, you're going to be done. And, you know, we when you look at Paul and Silas, they didn't do necessarily anything that would warrant them committing treason against Caesar. But, but their loyalty uh, was was brought into question because they had a greater loyalty to Jesus Christ, who was their God. They weren't going to, uh, you know, uh, not, you know, they weren't going to put Caesar over Jesus Christ. Like, right? It's like what Jesus said: "Render to Caesar what Caesar's; render to God what's God's." And obviously, they weren't going to put Caesar over God. Lastly, we see that Jason had to post bond, putting up basically cash, some kind of value for his freedom. By doing so. Uh, he promised that the trouble would cease, you know, or else his own property and possibly his own life would be taken. And and this, you know, we look at this and the reality is that it, it's never been an easy thing to be a real Christian. Like if you really believe in Jesus Christ, meaning you're not going to, you know, you're not going to flounder because, you know, you come against opposition. It's never been easy in the history of the world to be a Christian. And, and things haven't changed more than ever. We need to stand up unified in Jesus Christ because the reality is you look at our world, you look at what's going on currently in our world, 
If not now, then when? I mean, we're in the midst of of the most destructive pandemic in centuries. Uh, you know, there there's seems to be unending uh, injustice and in, in, in social equality going on in our country. Um, you know, you got you got hurricanes some converging, you know, two at a time that have never happened in a hundred years in our country. You got wildfires burning up all of California. I mean, the answer is clear. We need lives to be changed by the power of Jesus Christ. You know, I mean, we need to share in truth and in love about Jesus to those around us. We need to use the platforms that God has given us for the gospel, for the betterment of people, for people's souls to truly be saved and watch how the Lord will work. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just uh, we thank you again for for your truth. We thank you for your mighty word, Lord. Thank you for the wisdom, Lord, that you reveal to us through your word and how you show us that we have to have persistence in you. We have to wake up every morning with a concrete idea that we are going to center our lives around your son, Jesus Christ, and to make it a lifestyle day by day that all these little small steps that we do are going to add up to one big giant move, Lord. And that's because uh, you're in it, Lord, but we have to develop this lifestyle of of consistency and persistence in your son, Jesus Christ, that we won't, uh, you know, though we may get knocked down, that we're going to get right back up. We're not just going to lay on the canvas and fall out, Lord, that we're going to continue to press on, to press in on you and to continue on in faith following after your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. We thank you for uh, the fact that, Lord, you're you're going to work in the hearts of your your people and and that all things come through you lord and that we can trust in you that you have our best interests in heart and you're going to do everything that you need to do to make us realize how we can be of service to others father we thank you that lord though there are many unsung heroes lord it's not about man's recognition but the fact that we know that you truly have set our lives up to serve you and to do what you call us to do. And we know that, Lord, your word divides. Lord, that there are going to be those that receive you and that there will be those who reject the gospel message. We pray for those that have rejected, Lord, that there may be still time, that there is still hope as long as they have breath in their lungs and their hearts beating, that they can receive the free gift of salvation that's offered to them, Lord. And so we just... Um, we just pray that you would continue to help us on, to continue to have the faith that we would build our house on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and that we would not build our home on shifting sand, that when the wind and the rains come, that we're, our house is just going to be destroyed, Lord. We want to stand upon our, our the solid rock of Jesus Christ, our strong tower, our mighty fortress. Father, we thank you. May your word go forth now. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.